0: We're all about turning a crappy situation into something positive. quarter million dollars of credit card debt. I still
1: remember the day when no one turned up. up.
0: Throw it in the garbage and start from scratch. I could give myself a chance, so I started something. (laughs) I mean, I think that counts as from poop to gold. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back to From Poop to Gold. I'm your co-host, Benton Crane, and today I am joined by the one and only Damon John. Hey, thanks for having me. Damon, such a pleasure to have you. I'm sure all of our listeners know exactly who you are, but by way of introduction. Yeah, I'm the black guy on Shark Tank. <laughs> and the the founder and CEO of Fubu, correct? That too, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, we really appreciate you coming on the show today and I'm excited to dive into this interview and, and get a little uh little more of your backstory. Sure. Now um, now many people have, have heard, you know, kind of the high-level rags to riches story. Yes. Um but if you don't mind, let's dive in just a little bit. So um going back to the early days take us through take us through how fubu came to be
1: oh fubu came to be uh uh you know i was uh, somebody who really loved this new form of art that uh it was a communication of kids you know it was rap and uh it started in the bronx and it made its way into queens and rap was just really the voice of the streets and still is um and it came with a way to walk, talk, dress, and dance, and everything. And I really loved it. And we used to have to people who really loved the music would have to go and buy products and reinterpret them for the streets. Because I'll give you an example: if you're break dancing, the bag, <clears throat> your jeans can't be too baggy on the legs because then the the cloth would start hitting each other. And it would, that's right. When you're doing a windmill, not that I could do a windmill. Um, so you would have to taper the legs, right? Or if you wanted to wear something that was bright, the only way, way to do that is go and get Gore-Tex line ski jackets when you just wanted the loud colors. You didn't necessarily need that for walking around the streets in New York, so you'd have to take the linings out and do a lot of other things. But um, w- we started to hear that these designers and, and corporations just didn't want people whether they're rappers or any inner city kids or African Americans or Latinos or minorities they didn't want anybody buying their clothes so you know how do you feel going to support somebody who just doesn't like you they don't even want your business they don't want your business they'd rather not have your business and that's what I got frustrated and I and it was really because a, a big boot company had uh, had uh, made a comment I think the New York Times it was a it was the president was, he said something like we don't sell our boots to drug dealers and at that time Every kid you know part of hip hop was wearing these type of it was Timberland, and they're not owned by the same company now, so I went home and I created this brand uh this idea called Us bias um and it was really just to know that if I saw a kid across the street and they were wearing something, I can identify without even knowing the kid that we're into the same thing um, and that was really the theory of for us bias and and i and I started out of home and in my home uh, around nineteen eighty
0: nine so in some <clears throat> ways, it was just as much about a movement as it was about fashion yeah it was the same
1: exact right it was putting my love of fashion my love of music together and just putting it all together in one one area and it wasn't because i thought i would have a business i really didn't think i'd have a business it was just really because number one i wanted to make what i wanted to see the next day on me number two is i wanted to get girls so i wanted to be able to be on the video set and talk to the girls while they were uh, modeling, and say and act like I had a reason to be there right. because, of course, I'm dressing the artist, which I wasn't dressing the artist. And then also, I wanted to see the artists and be around them. So when they when they when the security would come and kick everybody off the set, I'd be the only person with a shirt going, No, 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 I'm here because they wanted me down here because they're gonna wear the shirt, even though they didn't know who I was. But it just gave me more validity.
0: Now that's got to take a certain level of confidence, right, and before you've made a name for yourself you know before you're you know that it guy yeah. how, how did how did you muscle up that type of confidence to to be able to get on those sets to get around the models to get around the artists
1: Well, I was doing it for quite some time you know i I, I started out I was fortunate enough that where I, where um, where I was raised at Hollis Queens has the highest concentration of music artists in regards to rappers around the world there's probably about 30 that you know that come from there from ll to run dmc to salt and pepper to uh tribe called quest and lost boys and 50 cents Ja rule they all come from that area and i was fortunate enough to be able to go on the first rap tours the raising hell tour by run dmc and the fresh fest back around 86 so i was already going on those tours i see because if you look at it when Run DMC started putting out their album, they had to hire bodyguards around the way, hire people around the way to be chefs or whatever cases. So you got to know everybody in the neighborhood. So you got to know where the tour was. So you just showed up, you know, backstage and banged on the door and they let you in. So um, it didn't take that much confidence to be able to now say I had a shirt um, uh, there because I was already doing it when I had
0: nothing. Right. You know. Now, what um? What kind of reaction did you get from close friends and family members as you as you came up with these new designs and started pushing them out? Did you get a lot of support or did you get get some skepticism? Well,
1: the the best part about it is my mother taught me how to sew, and my, my family is just my mother and I at that time. So support from family was great. Support from close friends was decent, and support from the neighborhood was horrible. But the, that culture is very homophobic, right? Yep. So when I said that I was Selling clothes, a lot of friends, they thought I was gay, which I have no problem with people uh, who, uh, you know, their sexuality. I just happen not to be gay. Uh-huh. But I was confident with myself. I didn't care what they thought. Right. But really, you know, a lot of people stopped hanging out with me because they were like, that's not cool. At
0: that time, it wasn't cool to make a shirt for somebody. It, it's almost ironic that, um, in w- when the culture is being ostracized by the, you know, the established fashion brands. You know, we don't even want your business. But yet, when a brand comes from within, that initially, that can be hard to accept because, hey, you know, this isn't coming from a French designer with a big name. Yeah, it is. It's true. But, you know, listen, thank
1: God, you know, on the flip side, I grew up in a a very, really, a really progressive. I grew up in New York City, Uh right? So I would go out to clubs and there would be a mixture of all type of people in clubs. And some of my... And my favorite artist of all time was Prince. Now this is a guy wearing ruffles and perming his hair, sure. right? And doing, and he's sometimes I think I, think I even saw him with chaps on, right? So I didn't care about that, right? I I just cared that, and I think that I think that that's a, a it comes up with another point. I care I cared that the thing that I was doing was bringing me joy, and I felt that it was bringing other people joy. So the other people that didn't understand it, didn't get it. Who cared about them?
0: Um let's take it back even a little bit further even before you founded fubu yeah um tell us about what you were like as a kid were you you the you know entrepreneur is in your in your you know running through your veins you're out selling um you know selling things door to door whatever it takes was 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 that like
1: you all the time i was always selling stuff i was always working someplace i was always doing both i was always either working was always working and then also working on some other level of my own little business selling stuff and when I had no money you know I would go around the neighborhood and especially go to the 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 bike shops and dig and dumpster dive and look at and try to find all these bike parts and over in six not six months would go by and I'd build two or three bikes and I'd sell them right Mm -hmm. and then I'd go and buy more parts and then sell more bikes and then uh you know during the during the summer, uh, during the uh, you know the the fall, I would rake leaves, and then I would uh, shovel snow in the winter, mm-hmm. and I would uh, mow lawns. But I ended up having such a great customer base because I had so many customers that I would then let's say somebody's going to give me five dollars to shovel their snow because I had always promised to be there at a certain time. I would then hire a friend in the neighborhood and give him two fifty, and I would take the five, and th- that's when I can expand and do more houses,
0: right? So here's a two-part question for you: For our listeners who have kids, how do you recommend encouraging entrepreneurship in kids? And for our listeners who are kids, how do you recommend um, feeding that fire, feeding that desire? Well, the
1: you know I I'll be very honest. I have two great partners in my life: my first wife and my my uh, current wife and they were the ones who have really been the ones to raise my girls and I got to give them all the credit for it. Um, But if I would have to think about the Damon John and how my mother treated me and how, you know, I try to treat my, my little girls is if they want something, I let them find a way to earn it first, initially in internally doing chores. Mm -hmm. So making sure that on a Saturday and a Sunday that they knew their responsibility and the buck stopped at them and they would, obviously make money from doing that. And then afterwards, um, you know, as they got older, my girls once they got about 16 or 17 or, or or not actually by about 12, I started allowing them to do little jobs outside the neighborhood. They wanted to babysit or they wanted to create something and try to sell it. I would go with them throughout the process of trying to do that. And I think my mother did the same exact thing to me. Um, I think the beauty of it is, you should do that no matter what, whether you have what you think is an entrepreneurial child or not because you know studies have shown when a kid, especially kids who don't have a lot of resources, when they realize that they could take a box of pencils and buy it for $1 and by the time they finish selling it, it's two, worth $2.50 because they've sold a pencil a piece or, mm-hmm. or a, a marker a piece, the math starts to work in their head and they start to look at other options because they start to look at everything as something that they can – Hopefully monetize. Right. Um, in the neighborhoods that I grew up, unfortunately, you know, w- when we came outside, the only entrepreneurs at that time when I was growing up were drug dealers. That's mm-hmm. the only people we saw. Not that good people didn't exist in my neighborhood, but you didn't see what that person did because they got up at 5 in the morning. They got their kids ready for school. They got on a train and then they went to work. Right. But the people you would see flashing things around and think the people that were out every day were drug dealers. So we a lot of my friends died or went to jail because they aspired to be them. However, in the instance I'm giving you that if you show kids how they can make money legally and or and creative to get what they want to do what they want it's fascinating how fast they grow when when you do that and in the right direction.
0: It can be a life-changing aha moment for them. It can,
1: absolutely, and as they they repeat it over the course of time from 10 to 15 to 20, they just start to really, they unwind a lot of things they see and they say, how can I get this done? I may not need to take out a $200,000 loan. I want to go to college. I'm going to figure it out. They start to find ways to figure it out and that's just what entrepreneurs do. We just figure it out. That's right.
0: Now, on your path you know all the way to success every successful person goes through one of those moments where things get really rough and you're just not sure if you're even gonna gonna make it through um, tell us about one of those moments um, so many uh, I have to
1: think about ah, geez you know when I I didn't. I went to Vegas, and there's you know, the story of I had three hundred thousand dollars in orders. I come home, I got turned down by twenty seven banks. I just figured, I, what did I work for six years for when I never realized that? What if I do get the orders that I wanted? let like I hear people all the time saying, "I want to be in Walmart." Well, how are you going to fund that?
0: And then you can't even fulfill
1: it, right? So all of a sudden, I just realized I lost you know those six years. Um, but then, you know, mortgage my home and now all right, now I'm back up. I got a hundred thousand dollars to make all the goods.
0: But your neck is on the line personally yeah. with your
1: house, right? Right. And I'm but no problem because I'm too stupid to realize that. I have a hundred thousand dollars more money than I ever thought about in my life. Then all of a sudden I only have five hundred dollars left. I'm three months later on the mortgage, I've only delivered half the goods because I didn't have financial intelligence and I didn't realize that I was paying for raw goods ninety days ahead of time, I was paying for a salary and staff and my receivables I wasn't getting for sixty days. So now all of a sudden I'm about to lose the house and everything else, just because of a cash crunch. Yeah, because I didn't understand what I was doing. Then I then I do get a deal with uh, a distribution company through Samsung and we start to start to grow and uh, you know and, and things start to work out. But all of a sudden, how do I handle a staff of three hundred people? You know, when we know how fickle fashion is, what how are we going to make sure that we stay consistent when a hot fashion brand lasts five to seven years and then they're gone? There's the very few the unicorns like Nike and Adidas and Louis Vuitton, very, very few. There's one percent of one percent that last. So um, you know th- those things always have happened, and then Fubu went down, and I bought three or four other brands, and those failed. And I was like, I'm burning all my capital. I'm spending good money after bad money, and then all of a sudden, I buy another brand, Kuji Then that works. So it, it was his life has been a huge roller coaster, and I think most entrepreneurs go through that.
0: Now, do you feel like the roller coaster continues? You know, the public looks at you and sees nothing but success, yeah. right? Does the roller coaster continue or do you reach a point where you're like, you know what? I'm there. I, I've made it. I'm safe. I'm sound. The
1: roller coaster does continue to some extent. If you are an A-type personality and you keep po- posting up new goals to yep. hit and the roller, to- or the roller coaster can continue with your personal life, with your health, with your family, with your faith, with your business. You know, today, uh, you know, Let's look at some, like, let's give you an example of one of my heroes is Mark Cuban. But if you really think about it, he had one huge hit.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? And Mark, I'm sure, has turned down. The Facebooks and the Amazons and the Ubers of the world, right? So his roller coaster may be listen, I got nine or ten billion dollars, but I love tech so much, I want to be one of the big tech players. He may not. I have no idea what his roller coaster is. He may say, no, I want to be home with my kids all the time because this is an important time. So a roller coaster is, uh, you know, it's really to each, in, each, each individual where they're setting their goals.
0: Now, for our listeners, <clears throat> I think people who aspire to go on Shark Tank, in many cases are probably very similar to the people who aspire to come get a Harmer Brothers campaign, right? Mm -hmm. What piece of advice would you give to those people who are, you know, they're they're the up and coming, um, they're the next entrepreneur, they have a great idea. What piece of advice would you have for them to be able to come into the Shark Tank and be successful?
1: Know that your success is inevitable, because you're never going to stop trying. Take affordable steps and make sure you don't bank everything on the opportunity know that a shark is not a crutch a shark is somebody happens to be around and whether you get a deal or not tell us the story like the train is leaving the station and if we want to get on it's up to us but this train is leaving the station you want you want us to be part of the party you want us to feel like we're missing out not because we're missing out necessarily on dollars but we're missing out on this great person you are, this problem solver you are, the fact that you're solving a pain in the market, you're going to have fun. And you know, you know what? You may be giving back to people and we may make some money at the same time. And and just be somebody that I want to be around and I want to invest in because whether this business works out or not, we're going to do something else together. That's right. Be that person.
0: Yeah, and um, I know your show, obviously I've never been on your show, but your show has had an enormous impact on our company because three of our clients... Came through Shark Tank. Squatty Potty uh, was a Shark Tank company. Yeah. Um, they did. I don't think it Corey. had
1: enormous impact on your company. I think your company had enormous impact on them.
0: Well, I, I think it was mutual, right? And I, I
1: now this product's everywhere. Uh, but, yeah, that's, but how many people have carved out a really good way to present it in an authentic way, fun-loving way? So I think that you you've done good for them.
0: Well, thank you. Just to wrap this up, I, I want to be super respect respectful of your time. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, do you have any up and coming projects or anything coming down the pipeline that, that you'd be open to giving a sneak peek to our audience? Um, unfortunately I can't only
1: because they'll air. Got it. Um, you know, uh, you know, I do have projects myself personally. I have, uh, and we'll, you know, we have something called Damon on demand. Oh, you know what? I don't want you to fall out of your chair. I have an album. I'm not rapping, singing or dancing. You don't even want to hear me hum. So don't think that I'm trying to insult the artists out there. But okay. what, what has happened is, and actually our, our buddy Gary V was here. I was going to get him on the album. It's my speeches that there's music in, embeds underneath so okay. people can get ready to go to work. Uh, and, you know, or they're on a the train or they're getting ready for a meeting. And oh, stuff I like, like that. it. It's just like my it. speeches. And uh, it's been getting a lot of really great uh, reviews. Uh, it's called Visualize. And... Um, I'm where just, can people check it out on all streaming platforms okay um on apple on uh spotify on pandora and uh it's it's you know i you know the the way the reason i came up with it i remember i was driving and i was listening to martin luther king i had a dream and it was one of his one of the days uh, mlk day and some dj put a beat to it and i said i want to work out to this
0: and it gave gave it I, I, yeah
1: i want i want to work i would i would love to work out to this and i realized if you hear one of my speeches uh, all right, you heard it once. You don't need to hear it again. But if there's someone I got with some really young producers and they put some rhythm to it, and they got some great people to sing hooks around it, and but it's it's fun. I'm I'm having a really good time with it. Um, but I want you know, music out today is a lot of time the artists are talking about themselves, and I want people to take these speeches of mine and use it for themselves. I mean, you uh-huh. know, so my speech is about visual. The album's called Visualize, and so the speech is about setting goals. It's about visualization. It's about you'll deal with haters in your life. It's about dreaming you know it's about all those things
0: i love it that's such a good idea where where our specialty has been in these long format ads you know most of our ads are anywhere from two to five minutes Uh long which in the advertising world forever that's insane like nobody sticks around for that long Uh and we found that rhythm is our most effective tool really for keeping people engaged because when when the rhythm is there people forget about time yeah doesn't matter if it's two minutes. Doesn't matter if it's five minutes. If the rhythm is there, they stay engaged. You know. You
1: know who also does that? Mark Burnett, ABC and Sony. Um, when you see Shark Tank, you're really looking at business theater, and there's a rhythm that they play with it, kind of like you hear the tone coming, and, and right before you know, Mr. Wonderful is about to hammer somebody, they Boom. cut the commercial. <laughs> you know what I mean? Then you go, oh, God, you know. So it is, and I think that we a lot of people can learn from this from our conversation because I'm just realizing what you're saying now is that when people are doing stuff. Um, you know, is there a rhythm in their communication? Mm-hmm. it flow. And then my my other project is Damon on Demand. I have something called Damon on Demand, which is uh, eight hours, of digital curriculum for okay. people to start businesses. So it's eight hours of that. It's called Damon on Demand.
0: Awesome. So they perfect.
1: Can, yeah, avoid some of those speed bumps that that we've had when we were coming up because you didn't find all this stuff about entrepreneurship in one place. That's right. It's very hard.
0: That's right. Where's the best place for our listeners to keep in, to keep up with what you've got mm-hmm.
1: going on? Yeah, you can check me out on all social media platforms. I'm The Shark Damon, but my name is spelled like Raymond, but with a D. Perfect.
0: Damon, got a little gift for you here.
1: All right. This
0: is a a copy of our book and some some, to uh, gold. Yep, some little some little goodies from our clients as well. So once again, thank you so much for your time. It's a pleasure to to get to know you better and to hear a little bit more of your your background. Thank you. Thank you for having me, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Make sure to like, share, and subscribe, and we'll see you on the next one.